Well, I have a, uh, a confession to make this morning, if that's all right. And it's just this, that God is frustrating sometimes. You ever feel that way? Anybody know? I, I can say that. Me and God are tight. He knows my heart. He's not upset with me. We talk on a regular basis. He gave me permission to say that. God's frustrating. I tell you that because uh, Monday through Thursday, I spent time on this new series. We're starting writing, writing a sermon. Felt good. If you know anything about me, I'm a little OCD about structure and having everything down. Normally, I write my sermon, and by Thursday, I set it. I preach it up here to an audience of none, and I forget it, and it's done. And uh, then uh, what happened was um, teaching on Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part all about the Holy Spirit, and I didn't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's funny like that. It, exactly. That's, that was my reaction. And so God stirred in my heart all weekend long and said, Eric, this is what you're supposed to talk about. Eric, this is what you're talking about. And so here's a sermon I wrote right here, and, and uh, I literally was up till 1030 last night writing the new one that God had laid on my heart. And so that's what I'm going to present to you guys today, being faithful to that, and it's only fitting. Uh, yeah, thank you. Just wait till it's done first. You might change your mind on that. I'm OCD. I like structure. I like order in my life. I like, you know, order in my life. And when God comes in, it's fitting that we're going to talk about being spirit-led, and the Lord led me that. And I was like, how hypocritical would I be to tell, talk to a church about that, but not be willing to do that myself. And so bear witness with me. Hopefully this goes well. Um, God's, I feel like, leading in a lot of things. I'm excited to share that with you. But uh, as we start, I want to ask you this question with the person next to you. Would you share, when you think of church, when you hear that word, when you think of church, what picture or image or thought comes to mind? Real quick, with the person next to you, just share that. What image, what picture, what thought, when you think church, man, I'm, I'm going to church or whatever it is, what, what thought, image, or, or feeling maybe even comes to mind? I don't know what comes to mind for you. For me, church is just where I grew up. It was Highland Hills Baptist Church off of Council, Northwest Expressway. And that's just so many good memories. That was a lot of my, my youth ministries. Your years were great there. Just grew up there my whole life. Got married at that church. Met my, my wife at that church. We dated through high school at that church. A um, lot of great memories there. And so, and so I just think of this building. I think of this situation. I don't know about you. Uh, maybe you think of some of these things. Put up this picture. Maybe you think of North Point. When you think of church, you, you think of our, our church, and that's, that's what comes to mind. Like, this has maybe been your church, or now you feel it's your church. Maybe you think life church. Maybe you think, man, this church is just this mega church. It's doing a lot of great things in the world, and you're just seeing it all over the place. And a lot of people associate with that. Man, that's a great thing. Or, or other big churches like uh, Crossings or Quail. I mean, again, Lord is doing great things in and through their church. Uh, maybe if you grew up in a more traditional background, you're thinking of an old Southern Baptist church in the countryside, or maybe you're thinking of the Catholic churches, as most of the world would think of. We, we often think of buildings or sometimes stuff like that comes to mind, but my question to you and what I want you to think about today in our new series is, is does this picture, going to the next one, come to mind? Kind of a weird thing, right? <laughs> it's an iceberg. <laughs> like, where did that come from? What's interesting about icebergs is when you see them, only 10% is visible is what they say, but their mass, their 90% is what is unseen. And a lot of times when it comes to church, we measure the success and power of the church by the size of the building or the ability of the preacher or the power of the worship or, or the hipsterness of the youth pastor, right? Ian, got it? Uh, or, or, or maybe the, the kindness of the children or their greed, all these sort of things, but but reality is sometimes it's the visible things we get so caught up in. And we realize our depth comes from things that people are not going to be visibly seen. 
And I'll tell you this because we're, we're, we're starting this new mission, this new vision where God is leading us. And I want to continue with that train of thought. And I want to continue to fight in this area and moving towards it. But I want you to stop looking at the visible and thinking that's all that we are. There's so much more depth to what God has in and through us. As a matter of fact, the word church never even meant a building. It got lost somewhere. You see, the Greek word for church that we understand for church today is this word ekklesia, if you've ever heard that before. Ekklesia comes from two words put together. Ek means out of. Ek is just a fun word to say. Or or kaleo means called out. And so called out, it literally means an assembly or or gather of people uh, around an idea, gathering of people around an idea. And so when you hear the word ekklesia, it's an assembly of people called out around an idea. It, It was a movement is what it was. It wasn't a building. They didn't even have a building back then. They didn't have it. They didn't have the amazing preacher. Most would even say Peter, probably, who started the church, really was not typically a great preacher, but God used him anyways. The problem with today, when we think of ecclesia, we think of, it becomes synonymous with a building or location, right? I'm going to church, and it's North Point. It's a location. I'm going to life. I'm going to these other places. As a matter of fact, our English word church doesn't even come from the Greek word ecclesia. It comes from the German word kirchi. And that's where it came from, which means a sacred place where you gather for religious purposes. And you say, well, how, how did this all come about? How did this change from this idea about this, it's a movement to a building change in the concept of church, of ecclesia? It all came about in the dark and Middle Ages. When you had people who constantly did not have Bibles of their own, who had to come and listen to someone preach and read the word to them so they could understand it. And so what happened is over time it became a place or an event you attended rather than a movement. That's what church was. It was a place that you gathered, you went to, to listen to someone preach, and you went. It became an institution that provided services to you. And just like anything with institutions, if you're not careful, it's not guarded, it eventually became controlled by powerful people that abused it for their own purposes. If you go through history, through the Crusades and other aspects like that, you see this black stain on the church on the name of God because of what people did in the name of God, abusing their own power for their own purposes. It was never meant to be that. But what's interesting is how we're kind of moving back to a different thing today is something happened in the 15 to 1600s, a thing called a Reformation began to happen. You had people like Martin Luther who stood up, a man of the church, in the church, who read scripture and realized something's off based here. This is not what it's supposed to be. What I see and what I read do not line up. And so he wrote the 95 Thesis and posted on the door of 95 things that he said the church had gotten off key and needed to get back on track. And that's where this Reformation thing gone. John Calvin, another guy who's a part of it, most people know him for Calvinism, we get that, but he was a big part of the Reformation. But the guy I really want to point out to you is a guy named William Tyndale. Look at that guy. I don't want to do my hair like that. William Tyndale. William Tyndale was alive from 1494 to 1536, and he was a guy who had this conviction in this Reformation area that he believed Christianity was a movement. It was not about a building. It was not about some place you just went and sat through a service. Something had cut off. And so he believed that if people were going to be devoted to a movement, he believed that they had to understand the message for themselves. And so he did something very odd in this time and culture that really shook the church at its foundation. He produced the first translation of the Bible and translated it from Greek to English. It had never been done before. The first guy to do it, to make sure that the average person could read the Bible for themselves and understand God's word for themselves and take this movement with them. And even more so, what I love is every time he came to the word ecclesia, this Greek word, you know what he put? He didn't put church, he put the assembly. So people could know it was not about a building, 
It was about a movement. It was about a mindset. It was about an idea to run and to take on. Eventually, as you can imagine, people who are in power don't really like that, and so they got upset, and they tried him as a heretic, saying, how dare you do this to God's word? How dare you do this? And so they put him in trial, and he's in trial in front of all these religious leaders talking about the story, and they're trying him, and he says this to them. This is an exact quote. He says, if God spares my life before many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. If God will do anything in my life, I'm going to make the average Joe that works out in the field know more about the scriptures than you religious elite people. You know how they responded? They burned him at the stake. They took him, they burned him alive, they tied him to a stake, and they literally caught him on fire and burned him alive for what he did. And as he's literally there dying, being burned, he cries out. They have record of him saying this. He says, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And that was his last words he said as he was burning alive. And what's interesting to me, if you have a copy of the King James Bible, you, you know that his prayer came true less than 100 years later. But why do I tell you all this? Why do I share this with you? Because sometimes we can get off base of what church is. We can lose sight of the movement and get stuck on the building sometimes, right? It becomes this thing we just come and sit through. We listen. We become spectators rather than participants in what's going on. We, we don't carry the banner this, this where it's supposed to go. And, and so I share this with you because we're doing a new series called Small Church, Big Mission. Like, how can we understand what this is supposed to look like? The best way possible is to go back to the beginning in Acts chapter 1 and 2 and see how the church started and see the movement that happened. And you've got to understand, when it started, it started with 11 guys, 11 people, this small church, but had the big mission. And if it hadn't been for these 11 men, do you understand the church would not exist today? If they chose to do nothing, if they chose just to make this an event, they go and sit in a room together, the church would have died. But they bought this mission, this vision, they ran with it. And so we're going to look over the next few weeks in Acts chapter 1 and 2 and just look what church looked like, how it all began, and where it came from as we explore small church, big mission. And my desire is this, is to help you guys see, help us all, myself, see church in a new light. Maybe reinterpret how we understand it. To where when we see church, when we come here, we don't measure our church off of what we see, but the depth of what God is doing in and through us. You, even you individually, you might look at yourself saying, I'm nobody, I'm incapable of accomplishing much, and you just get caught up on the visible, unaware of the depth God can do in and through you if you're just willing. It's as simple as that. And so I want it to be encouraging. I want it to be motivating. And that was an extremely long intro, I know, but it's all good. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to pick apart 1 through 11 today. And as you're turning there, I want to share my big idea, because I had a completely big, different big idea written on this paper right here. The big idea that you're going to see from today is this, is when it comes to church, when it comes to this small church, big mission, how do we accomplish this? We have to be spirit-led and story-loaded. And I'll unpack that. It's funny because I didn't want to talk about this and events that happened this weekend that transpired that God just stirred in my own life and my heart that I said, okay, God, I give up and I'm going to teach what you want me to teach. And so um, if it's great, I'm going to give glory to God. If it's bad, I'm going to blame God. So we're cool like that. He could take it. He's my friend. So Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. Hopefully as you're turning there, let me set up a little bit of the story. Uh, Acts, we believe, uh, most scholars believe, was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a physician. He was also a fellow missionary and friend of the Apostle Paul. And so most people attribute the knowledge and understanding of his writings, where it came from, from the Apostle Paul. That's where he got all his source of knowledge from. 
And Luke is a physician. He loves details. And if you know anything, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, which he unpacks. Look at the very beginning. He says, I wrote this first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. He says, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, now this beginning sets up the intro of what's going on. He's writing, he says, listen, I wrote you an earlier letter explaining about all that Jesus had did in his lifetime, which is the Gospel of Luke. And so if you're reading these books together, you understand the Gospel of Luke is about Jesus' life. Acts is about the beginning of the church when Jesus left and takes over. And he dedicates his book to a guy named Theophilus. Like, who is this guy, Theophilus? I think I'm going to name one of my kids that. Addy, you're no longer Addy. You're Theophilus from now on. So Theophilus, most scholars believe that it is actually a person, not just an idea. Theo comes from God. Philos means love. Theophilus, a lover of God is what? People who love God. Some people try to think it's a general term, but there was a lot of people in this time that were named Theophilus. And what you would have is you'd have someone that would donate money to pay for your rights, to uh, allow you to do this sort of stuff. And so he's giving acknowledgments where credit's due, like, thank you, Theophilus, for letting me do this. And he writes this. This letter happens sometime in 60 to 63 AD, and it's more or less a historical letter that covers the first 30 years of the church. So with all that intro right there, would you allow me, let's read Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. He says, I write the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. He says, after he had given instructions to the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. He says, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up uh, as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up in heaven? This Jesus who uh, has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have been seeing him going into heaven. I love, you get the end of the story, Jesus literally has this miraculous leaving, and they're literally just probably staring at the the sky gawking like, what just happened? About this time, two guys like, hey, dude, we all looking at? Like, get after it. You ever have people like that? You're driving on the side of the road, and all of a sudden traffic gets backed up for miles, and you're like, what is going on? What is the big deal? I had that the other day. I'm driving down the road, and traffic's backed up all north of the expressway. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And as we come up, we find out there's a car sitting there, and a guy's car is broke down, and he's just laying on the hood of his car, I guess just trying to kill time. Nothing's going on, but everyone stops and looks. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're making me an hour late because some dude's laying on the top of the hood of his car. And you know what I did when I came by? I slowed down and looked, just like everyone else did. You ever do that? You get so angry with people, how dare they stop and look, and yet we do the same thing? But they're gawking, they're looking up. And it's not the point of the story. The point of the story is what Jesus says in the middle right here. It fits into our big idea as being spirit-led and story-loaded. He tells him, says, listen, I want you to wait until you receive this promise of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me, Jesus' first thing isn't, hey, you guys need to go get after it right now. He says, wait. 
You're not going to be able to accomplish anything without me, without the Spirit's presence in your life. Is it not interesting that Jesus realized that he could accomplish more by being absent than by being present with him in the moment? We sometimes think, man, I wish Jesus was here. Everything would be better. And Jesus is like, no, I left so that you could be more successful and more impactful for the kingdom of God. And how does it happen? It's all through this idea of the Holy Spirit, this person of the Holy Spirit. Now, can I be honest? As Baptists, some of you guys are getting nervous because we don't traditionally talk about the Holy Spirit, right? It makes us uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, I'd probably equate it to the Holy Spirit. We sometimes think of him as like Uncle Eddie from Christmas Vacation. You know what I mean? Like he's part of the family. You know, you're not really sure how he's part of the family. You kind of want him to stay outside in his own thing. You you acknowledge he's there, but you really don't want to get too close because he makes you uncomfortable. Now, some of you guys are probably upset, like, man, what kind of heresy is he speaking here? But let's be honest. We kind of want to keep the Holy Spirit at arm's distance. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God to allow us to accomplish things we could never do on our own. The Holy Spirit is not some mythical floating ghost or anything. It is an actual person. It is a personhood of God. It's one of the many ways God reveals himself. You have the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. In each of those things, God independently functions and behaves in different ways and has different responsibilities in those matters, but yet it's all God at the same time. And if the Trinity confuses you, can I tell you something? You're in good company, okay? It's not something that I could probably ever ever illustrate up here and you go, oh, I feel great about that. Why? Because we're finite beings trying to understand an infinite God. We're never going to be able to fully wrap our mind around about it. I equate it to my daughters coming in the other day and saying, Daddy, can we have, we have the greatest idea ever, can we have ice cream for dinner? I said, is your mom around? I said, I said, no, we can't do that. Like, why not? My youngest like, Daddy, like, can we have ice cream for dinner? And I try to explain her, like, that's not going to fill you up. It's going to make you feel bad, and it's not good. And she goes, yeah, but it's good. And so we argued forever. As much as I try to rationalize with her mind, she just doesn't understand why she just can't have ice cream for dinner. And so I say what I said I'd never say is, I will explain it to you when you're older. <laughs> I'll tell you later. And God's the same way with us when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Like, listen, I can try to poke and prod and get you to wrap your mind, but there's just some things you're just going to have to trust. And God's Holy Spirit comes and, and comes with us. I love verse 4 through 5. Look, he says, he says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. So you understand the Holy Spirit is a promise from God. If you are a child of God, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, can I tell you something? Scripture tells us that you receive the Holy Spirit as a promise, a down payment, a gift, a guarantee of what's to come. It's like God giving a piece of heaven in you right now to before so you can experience what's going to come. And this is not a new idea. This is not like just a New Testament thing. The Holy Spirit is all throughout the Old Testament. If you want to start turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 35, I'll show you one example. But in the Old Testament, you see in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, talks about when Joshua takes over, as Moses quits leading and Joshua takes over, it says this, it says, Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom. God puts his spirit of wisdom on so he can lead. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, it says, the spirit of the Lord came on David as he was anointed a king. And the very next verse in 14, it says, the spirit left Saul. God's spirit transitions from Saul to David. Why? So he could accomplish a purpose of leading his people. Hopefully you're there at Exodus chapter 35. I want to show you another example. I think it's so cool. Exodus 35 verse 30 on it says this. Moses then said to the Israelites, Look, the Lord has appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uriah, son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah. He was filled with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every kind of craft to design art, artistic works in gold and silver and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for working in every kind of artistic craft. God 
puts his spirit on people so that they can design and create the temple of God. God's spirit comes on people for specific purposes, for specific things to allow them to accomplish his purpose, his means. Now, why do I tell you this? Because listen, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not on everybody. It was on specific people here and there. David received it. The judges, every judge you read pretty much, you see the spirit coming on them, but not everybody had the spirit. And when Jesus left, God gives them this promise of the Holy Spirit to where all God's children, if you are a believer in Christ, if you have been saved, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This same spirit that allowed David to slay the giant is in you. Do you understand that? That the same spirit that gave Samson his power is in you. The same spirit that allowed these people whose craftsmen to use their crafts to worship and glorify God is in you. It's in all his people. And God understood that we would be more successful and more uh, able to accomplish what we need to do with the Holy Spirit in us. And so for us today, when we see the Holy Spirit come, listen, the Holy Spirit, it guides, it directs, it changes, it edifies us, it it teaches us, it tells us where to go, it, it, it moves us, it guides us. It helps us understand scripture like never seen before. It helps us uh, accomplish what we need to accomplish. And we'll talk more about that. Another thing, look at verse 6 through 8, I love. It says, so when they had come together, they asked the Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He tells them, says, wait, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Just trust me. You're going to get this gift that's going to help you accomplish your thing. And they, they cry out and say, okay, now are you going to restore the kingdom as the way it is? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time and period of the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He's like, no, I'm not the one that's going to do it. You guys are going to be the ones that do it. Think about that for a second. When you're waiting, hey, would you help me with this? No, you're the one that's going to do it. My dad's done that a few times with me, carpentry stuff. Hey, I need you to come do this. And he's like, no, you're going to do it. Let me show you and explain to you how to do it. And I'm sitting there like, I'm going to tear this thing up. But he's over my shoulder guiding and directing me the whole time how to do it. And the Holy Spirit guides us in the same way. And so for us, I'm telling you this, listen, it's not... The disciples are so caught up of the when and how. When is this going to happen? How is this going to be accomplished? And Jesus said, listen, it's not the when or how you need to be concerned of, but it's the what. You don't need to worry like how you're going to accomplish or when it's going to happen. You just need to understand that you have a mission and that's what you're called to. Let me just say this. It's freeing to know what your responsibility is and what your responsibility is not. When you know that I'm responsible for this, but I'm not responsible for this, it's freeing, isn't it? Someone comes and asks you to do it and you go, that's not my responsibility. Our staff have a saying, thanks to Paul Burleson, we say, and Carrie really pushed it, and we all jump, we love it, and we say it all the time. Someone comes and says, oh, here's an issue, and we say, that's not my monkey. Uh, it's not my monkey there. And it started as a joke. Paul Burleson came, did some teaching to us, and talked to us about, listen, you need to understand what's your monkey and what's your not, and said, listen, I'm not going to let that monkey be on my back. I'm going to let that go. And so all the time, we'll be sitting in a staff circle, and someone will say something, and we'll kind of look at someone and go, not my monkey, not my monkey, and quickly realize it's freeing. It's that letting go of, like, this is not my responsibility. I don't have to sweat this. I don't have to worry about it. It's not my responsibility. Can I tell you, listen, what I want to unpack today is what is your monkey? When it comes to God's work and God's kingdom, what is your responsibility? And so let's unpack real quick, monkey one for you, if you will. The first thing is you're called to be spirit-led. You have a responsibility to be spirit-led. I love, he tells us, says, wait for the promise. He says, listen, you need to wait for God's leading in your life. And he says, you will receive power. That word power comes from the Greek word dunamis. That's where we get the word dynamite. It literally means the power, the ability, the influence, it means strength, authority. It's all those things. God will give you the power. He'll give you the ability. He'll give you the influence. give you the strength to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. And so it's our responsibility to allow the Spirit to lead us to where we need to go. 
Now, if you were like me, if I were sitting where you were at and where I was sitting, to be honest, Thursday afternoon, you would be saying the same thing I am. How do you be spirit-led? What does that look like? That sounds like a mythical thing that we would want to talk about. Can I tell you how you become spirit-led is you become sensitive to the spirits groaning and leading in your life. Most people, if you ever talk to them, will say this. Have you ever heard them say this? I felt led to give you a call. I, I don't know why, but I felt led to tell you this. I, I felt led to confess this. I felt led to this passage. You ever heard that terminology? It's because we can't find a better word to explain, to wrap our minds around it. And so for us, when it comes to being led by spirits, it's being sensitive to that tugging, that leading in your life and saying, I'm going to follow through on this. Can I tell you why I'm talking about this today? Because Thursday I did not want to talk about this because I don't feel completely comfortable talking about it. But then Friday we had a situation where some friends of our people in church who had a difficult time me and my wife are out on a date day, and we're driving around, and we get a text from a friend that says they're in the hospital right now. Can I tell you what I would typically do? I'm going to be honest with you. Fridays is mine and Emily's date day. We spend time together, and we try to turn off everything at church, have one day just to ourselves. And Friday, it's a close friend of ours, and we get this text, and we're coming out of the car wash. We've got two hours. We've got to go pick up kids. And normally I'd say, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll contact this guy tomorrow on Saturday and just check. I want to see how he's doing. And as we're leaving, as we're leaving, and we see the text, me and my wife look at each other, and we both at the same time I said, you want to go see him? And she's like, yeah, I felt, I felt like we should. I feel like we feel led to go see him. And so we went up to the hospital, and we go up to the hospital again, praying over this man, talk to him. And in that moment, he gets some very devastating news that was very hard that was just right when we walked in. And we didn't know what to say. The room suddenly got silent. And we said, listen, can we just pray for you? And we began just to, to just to pray over him. And we said, listen, I think God's leading us. We're going to go do this. We're going to take care. We, we began to reorganize our weekend to help and to, to do whatever. Listen, if I had not been sensitive, my wife had not been sensitive to that thing, can I tell you something? That guy would have been on his own in that moment. I'm not telling you that to pat myself on the back. I'm telling you because I've screwed up and I got it right this once, okay? For me in my own life, can I tell you what's happened just in the past couple weeks? The past few, this past month was difficult for me. February was heavy. Some of you, I've shared that and I've told you that. Just in the past week, I had people who normally don't come and contact me. They came up to the church and they said, hey, can I talk to you? I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? I got a lot on my plate. What's going on? They said, I just want to come check on you. I just, I just, I can't, I feel led just to come. Are you doing all right? It kind of caught me off. I was like, yeah, no, I appreciate it. I began to share my heart. And as I left the church to go to a lunch meeting, as I'm going, another guy calls me who normally doesn't call me about stuff like this and says, hey, I just felt led to give you a call and just check on you. I don't know why. I can't explain it, but I just feel like, you know, I don't want you to get burned out. I just care about you. And I just, so if, if you need me right now, I'm here. And I was like, man, this is just a divine situation. Can I tell you what happens? A lot of times we don't follow that leading, and the Lord doesn't get to show up in people's lives. And we wonder where God's at. People pray all the time, God, would you just show up in a mighty way? And for some funny reason, God just keeps sending his people instead. Me and this guy got to talk Saturday night. We sat up at the hospital, and we talked for a while, and we just kind of talked and talked. And finally, I said, you know, it's interesting to me. Every time I cry out to God, I look for God, and it seems like he's absent. But yet, it's funny, these people just keep showing up. And I'm like, man, God, thank you. I'm like, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. God, where are you at? And God's like, man, I'm sending my people. I'm sending my people. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? He's like, listen, I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so as we as a church, and this is where it caught me off guard, if we as a church do not become sensitive to the Spirit's leading, we are not going to be able to accomplish what God needs to do. Can I tell you, it's not just about helping people. Sometimes it's confession. I've shared with you guys my struggle with sin and something I've had in the past about eight years ago. 
It was God's leading in my life that when I went home, I had to tell my wife, like, I need to tell. I did not want to tell her. But that's still something in me says, you need to get this out. You need to talk. I kept finally, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And finally went home and just bore my heart and soul, and it hurt so much. But God redeemed me through that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Yet too many oftens we hear it and we turn it off. I even had a situation as little as just Ted Kirsch who came last week. Do you know how I met Ted Kirsch? If you didn't come last week, he came and he spoke to our church. He was a guy who sent people from village to start this church. I met Ted about a year ago at a coffee shop. Didn't know who he was. I'm sitting there, and if you know anything about me, I'm an extreme introvert. I do not like to talk to people in public. I know. I'm sorry. It's just me. And we're sitting at a coffee shop, and this guy sitting across me reading a John MacArthur book. And for whatever reason, I felt a leading to say, hey, I love John MacArthur. It's a great book. Dumb thing, right? But I said, I said, hey, I, John MacArthur's a great book, man. He said, yeah, and he began to talk to me. He says, what's your name? So my name's Eric Harris. He goes, you go to church anywhere? I said, yeah, it's actually funny. I'm, I'm the pastor at, at North Point. His head kind of cocked sideways. I said, who are you? He said, my, my name's Ted Kirsch. I said, I know that name. We began to talk for two hours about how he planned this church and how it did. I think God stirred that whole conversation up. Listen, it's little stuff. It's little stuff in your life. It's being sensitive. It's, it's following that leading. Your monkey, your responsibility is to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. So that's one aspect. The second thing is this. He says, you will be my witness. He says, sorry. He says, not for you know the period. He says, you will receive power of the Holy Spirit. And the second is, you will be my witness. Not only do we have responsibility to be spirit-led, but we have the responsibility to be story-loaded. He says, you will be my witnesses. I love all the locations. You'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria. Wherever you go, you'll be my witnesses of what's going on. What does he mean by witnesses? What does that mean? I love J.D. Greer says this. He says, a witness's job is not to do anything but to share what has been done. That's it. Share what God has done. You have a responsibility to share what God has done in your life. Sometimes we get so caught up on knowing all the Bible and knowing all of Scripture and being eloquent in all these things when really you just need to talk about how satisfied you are in the Lord. Listen, this is what God's done in my life. Can I tell you, people could argue with me all day about what I'm preaching right now, and some of you guys might want to do this after I'm done, but sharing my story about Ted Kirsch and other stuff, you can't argue with that because that's my story. You can say whatever you want, that's my story. And I'm telling you, that has more power than anything else I've said before this moment. Our stories carry weight. It builds people up and encourages. And so I tell you, listen, when it comes to this, we need to be story loaded. And that's a weird term I know. Me and my wife wrestled with that last night. Loaded means this. It can have an understanding of having a large amount or being full of. Like that thing's loaded with whatever. It's be full of. It's true. Like in our life, we need to be full of stories. Every aspect of our life, we have something to tell of every little thing. God, help me find my car keys today. God, help me do this. God, help me have this interaction. It's full of stories. And at the same time, it also means to be ready to go at a moment's notice. At any moment. I made a commitment to God when I came out of my struggle. I said, God, listen, I'm never going to hide in that place again. And so anytime the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to share my story. Can I tell you, this made some for me really awkward conversations. And sometimes people look at me and go, okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks for sharing. But I've also seen numerous people be redeemed and come out of a life of sin of their own because I shared my story because what God did. I've had it ready in my own I've been faithful. God, just, if you want this, take my story. It's yours. Do you have a responsibility to be spirit-led and story-loaded? That's what kind of church we're going to be. That's how we accomplish this big mission. Now, let's just be honest. Let's be real for just a second. Would you allow me? What happens for many of us is we say, what if I fail? 
What, what if I asked that guy across from me and I said, hey, buddy, John MacArthur's a great book. And he's like, yeah, you're an idiot. Hush. Okay, cool. <laughs> what would happen if I fail? I mean, isn't that kind of my fault? Listen, you only have the responsibility. Your monkey alone is just this, to trust in the Spirit's leading and to tell your story. And God will take care of the rest. When I think about it, I think about when I was a kid, we used to play with firecrackers. Kids don't do this. But when I used to play with firecrackers, I don't know if you ever did this. i get black cats. You'd light them and you'd throw them, right? Don't do this. It's a dumb idea. But we did it, okay? We would light firecrackers and throw it, and we, that's what we do over and over and over again. Now, every once in a while, I'd light a firecracker, and I'd throw it, and I'd be waiting, and it wouldn't go off. You ever had duds like that? Like you throw it, I'm like, is it my fault that that was a dud? I mean, I lit it, I threw it, and it didn't explode. Man, I, I'm sorry, man, I suck at throwing fireworks. Like, obviously, my throwing ability did not make that thing explode. I have no responsibility to make that thing go. I have a responsibility to light it and throw it and let the rest happen. When it comes to us, God works in the same way. You simply light the fuse and throw it and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. And if God doesn't come through, listen, it's not your monkey. It's not your responsibility. Well, they didn't pray to receive the Lord. That's not your responsibility. Not my monkey. That's all I can do. Do you know where I just saw this two weeks ago or last week? It was that City Rescue Mission. I'm not going to embarrass her, but I went to City Rescue Mission, and man, Matt does a great job. If you've not been, you need to go check that out. I'm telling you right now. But Debbie Hills got up, and she shared, and she told me, she said, I'm scared, Eric. I'm scared to talk. She said, I'm sharing my story. She got up there. She shared her testimony. It was powerful. She talked about what God did in her life, and she just did what the Spirit led her to do. Can I tell you something? She got up there, and when she got done, people left and right were coming up and responding how God had used her message to change lives. Why do I tell you that? Because a little over three or so years ago, I got up there and did the same thing, except I didn't share my story. I preached my heart out in the best sermon I thought I could find, trying to impress and do whatever I could. People are like, all right, thanks for that, buddy. Move on. My preaching ability has no power behind what a testimony does. You have an opportunity. What would happen if this church was suddenly spirit-led? What would happen if we were spirit-led and story-driven? I, uh, I felt led to do this, and I just want to do it anyways. And so here's what I want to do to kind of close out our service. It's weird. It's not Baptist. It's different, but I feel it's right. I'm going to ask this. Just where you're at right now, as we as a church, if you would feel led, if you would feel led to share your story, not your testimony, your whole testimony, one or two cents, what God has done recently to you? Would anybody be willing to do that? In one or two cents, would you be willing to say, listen, this week, God sent someone in my life and encouraged me. This week, God delivered me from a sin that I've been struggling with. This week, God answered a prayer. Would anybody be willing to do that? And so I'm going to ask for just next three to five minutes if we need whatever it is, just a few people, if you'd be willing to do it, I'm going to ask that right now. You raise your hand, stand up, and we'll come around with the mic and we'd love that. Yeah, Sarah, go ahead. You got it? Anybody else be ready on deck? One or two sentences, what, what, to share real quick what God has done, something recently. Uh, recently in my life, two of my children that I had lost contact with, um, he brought back into my life, and one of them is even here today and living with me again. That's powerful. Awesome. Two of our children. Amen. Anybody else be willing to share? Eric, back here. Anybody else after that would be ready? Um, I just wanted to share, you know, as you and the elders have been talking about um, the new vision and the direction that you wanted to take the church in, I'd kind of been 
feeling like I've been slacking a little bit and not really been involved as I should. And just kind of looking and praying about an opportunity to kind of step in and, and help do something, even if it's small. And, um, and it was kind of small, but like this week when the flu has decimated most of our class and Tony asked for somebody to help um, teach. And so I got the opportunity to help teach our Sunday school class today and just to share a devotion that I've been going through that have been saying some things to me personally. So Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else be willing to share what God has done recently for them? Spirit-led, story-loaded. Anybody else be willing? Anybody else? It's interesting that I hear this from my own son this morning, but about five or six years ago, I got a random call from a friend who asked me to go with them to California and try to run a half marathon. I don't run. <laughs> so I hobbled it across and I did fairly well. I was proud. Since that time, my arthritis has just taken up camp in my body and now it's difficult just to walk across the room. I haven't heard from this lady in forever. And I got a text two days ago and I'll read it to you. Good morning, sweet Becky. The Lord has put you on my heart this morning, and I just wanted you to know that I'm thinking of you and praying over you. Mitchell and I miss you much. Haven't heard from her in years. Mm. When the Spirit leads, reach out, text, whatever it is. It makes all the difference. Awesome. One more. Is anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, please. Yeah, please. Um, this Tuesday we're getting adopted and it's just been going on for about a half, um, one and a half years. So. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Last opportunity. Anybody else before we wrap up? I know I said one more, but I don't want to quench it. Anybody else? Going once. Going twice. Can I tell you something as we wrap up? This band makes a way. My first church I served at, it was not traditional in a lot of senses in what I saw. And they just were spirit-led. It was amazing to see. I remember sitting there in service, and our pastor midway through just said, I just feel like, does anybody have a word from the Lord to share? And I'm like, dude, you don't do that. Like, what are you doing? And people just began to stand up and begin to share left and right. And it was powerful, man. It edified, it encouraged me so much. Like, man, God is, God is still moving. God's still alive. He's present. He's working. He has some Sundays where he get up and say, listen, I just feel like we need to have a time of confession mid-sermon. I don't know if he thought his sermon was going bad and he just needed to break it or what. I don't know. But he said, does anybody, I just want to offer a time of confession. Spirit-led, story-loaded. And people stand up left and right from here and here. I remember a guy sitting next to me and said, man, I'm just, I'm struggling. Me and my wife are fighting like crazy and I need help, man. I just need encouragement. People just rallied around, began to pray over him, began to just do it. Another guy in the back said, man, I'm struggling with addictions in my life. I can't kick. I just need encouragement. We had left and right people doing that all over the place. It was amazing to see. But what shook me to the core was what happened of what very few people knew. It was our associate pastor's wife who was sitting right over here. No one knew about her secret. No one knew about what's going on in her life. But yet the spirit led, and she responded. She stood up, tears in her eyes, and she says, no one knows this about me, but for the past 15 years, I've been an alcoholic. Every night I drink a bottle of Jack Daniels just to get me through the night. I need God's deliverance. I need healing. We as a church ride on her and we prayed about her. She never touched a drop again after that. Listen, listen, spirit led. 
right now, some of you guys were encouraged by hearing this sort of stuff. Some of you are encouraged hearing the stories. Man, what an amazing thing. Some of you need that same spirit right now to move in your life. And I want to invite you to that. If God's tugging at your heart, if you're feeling that, I don't know how else to say it, but leading, don't quench it. Follow through. If you look like a fool, you've been faithful. Who cares? It's not your monkey. It's your responsibility just to be faithful to what God is leading you to do and share the story and let God do the rest. You never know what he's going to do with you. And so as I pray us out, our elders will be in the back. If you feel led, don't leave without doing something about it. If you feel led to go to someone and encourage them, don't leave without doing something about it. If you feel led to stand up and teach a class that you haven't done before, listen, don't leave without doing something about it. God says, wait until the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you because that is how you're going to accomplish my mission. It's a small church with a big mission, and they did it. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I pray you would just lead us. God, your presence and the Holy Spirit is in every single one of our lives. If we are a child of God, if we have asked you in our heart, you have promised us in Scripture that we have this truth, we have this gift, we have this power in us. But God, very few of us actually listen to, very few of us actually listen to the following, the leading we have. And people are crying and dying for a lost world, a a world where God would show up and yet you, you keep trying to send your people. So God, stir in our hearts, stir in our souls, stir in our our minds. God, let us be a church known for being sensitive to what you're doing. And if we make ourselves look like a fool, God's not our monkey. So give us freedom in that. God, I pray for people in this room who feel leading. God, I pray that they would respond. I have no doubt there's someone in this room that needs to respond either with something they're struggling with life or maybe it's salvation. They've never come to put their faith in you and today is the day they need to do it. They need to take that leap of faith, God. Please do not let them leave this room without doing something about that. God, let us be a church about you. God, I pray for this morning's offering as our ushers get in place. God, I pray to be spirit-led in our giving too. God, our giving is supposed to be from our membership. It's not for guests, and I pray they feel no obligation as the plate come by. But God, let us be faithful and just trust that, God, I don't know how, how you're, what you're going to do with this. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to trust you with this. So God, I pray we'd be sensitive to those things. God, thank you for giving us the gift. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.